Hello and welcome to Discovery Stage. My name is Shirley and in this episode we will be thinking about humanity's innate and fundamental symbolic nature. I will be introducing work from a selection of Scottish artists which speak to that theme and at the end of the episode I'll go over a prompt for creative practice. It it should be adaptable to all creatives, writers, visual artists, crafters, musicians, cooks, mystics, thinkers, poets, horticulturalists, bakers, whatever your creative practice, I think the prompt will adapt to it. So welcome to Discovery Stage Animal Symbolicum, a packed and diverse episode. I hope you enjoy it. Arts, music, faith and mysticism give us a necessary escape from what can be grinding literalism. I want to read a quote from literary theorist Viktor Shlovsky. If we start to examine the general laws of perception, we see that as perception becomes habitual, it becomes automatic. Art exists that one may recover the sensation of life. It exists to make the stone stony. The purpose of art is to make an object unfamiliar in that sense, to make forms difficult, to increase the difficulty in the length of perception, because the process of perception is an aesthetic end in itself and must be prolonged. Art is a way of experiencing the artfulness of an object. The object is not important. One way of looking at what Shlovsky is saying is that art provides an escape from literalism. Um, It's a path we can can follow and ask, but what else is there? He, in this excerpt, I think, advocates engagement with art as a way of accessing ephemeral, non-literal, symbolic forms and meanings. And yes, this can be regarded as difficult, but that is just the way in which modern living has trained us to ignore our instinctive and our mythic selves. It's simply a matter of trusting ourselves and the way things make us feel. Don't get me wrong, it is work to differentiate and to shake off aspects of commercial culture, but it is joyous work. It is enlivening work. We must gaze and dream and attribute depth and harmony until the unremarkable becomes transfigured. Every animal benefits in survival and therefore in evolutionary terms from being able to detect patterns and patterns are where symbolism is born. If, if you can detect patterns then you're able to generalise which then allows for prediction of outcomes which then allows you to survive. As philosopher Daniel Dennett argues where utter patternlessness and randomness prevails nothing is predictable. Even quantum theories and chaos theories do follow patterned systems. This pattern detection sense in us is highly heightened and it also encompasses the phenomenological. It encompasses what is, what might be, what was. It encompasses our myths, our ancestors, stories, imagination. It stretches in us back to the beginning of time, to the Big Bang, and into the future and the end of the universe. From the dirt upon which we stand, out into the furthest reaches of the cosmos, all this we can conceive of. 
we conceive not only of our own births and deaths, but of the birth and death of the entire universe. An entire universe of possibility and expedience sits there between our two also human ears and it can threaten to engulf us, engulf us in feeling. Um, how can we deal with this weight of knowledge? How can we bear it? Well, some people can just shut it off and go into some kind of denial. Um, art helps us see it in a patterned way, in a patterned reality. Um, we can deal with this information, this 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 knowledge um, symbolically. We can deal with it ritually and we can deal with it systematically. Um, modern science, I don't think, is much different from hand paintings on the cave walls in that sense, in that we give order to the unknown. Um, we have a dexterous and pattern-seeking mind which can open up the world of experience to us. It can also shut it down. This can be the negative side of pattern-seeking if we apply this almost religious aspect of pattern-seeking dogmatically or with an intellectual laziness. Um, authoritarian governments, capitalism and conspiracy theories are all symptoms of this intellectual laziness. Early humans extended their dexterous minds out into the land which surrounded them and imbued it with symbolic meaning. This allowed them to communicate with the inert, the otherwise unresponsive, the foreign or the distant. Thrown out of the Garden of Eden as we were and into selfhood, it separated us from our fellow animals. So we extended our pattern-making minds out into the world and imbued the entirety of our surroundings with symbolic meaning, with gods, with myths, with fairy tales. And we danced and we sang and we created art to find favour with the beings beyond our Ourselves, the beings who gave us water from the sky and fruit from the trees and gave us the sun afresh each morning. We fashioned the gods in our own image and thus we were no longer alone. We are animal symbolica and we mustn't forget that. There is so much more to our world, to life, than the proponents of literalism would have us believe. To acknowledge our symbolic nature, to honour the symbolism at the heart of the way in which we interpret the world around us makes life infinitely richer, more infinitely full of meaning. William Blake said in his Songs of Innocence, To see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. In this, Blake gets right to the heart of what it means to say we are a symbolic animal. With symbolism, we are able to give form to abstract ideas, make the invisible visible and the intangible concrete. We all will be motivated by symbols through advertising, through culture, group aesthetics, whatever. Whether you intend it or not, so acknowledge Respect and invite in your symbolic attitude to enable a deeper, more satisfying way of navigating and experiencing the world. There are many ways to do this, and since you're listening to this podcast, I suspect you probably already do. Um, the prompt in the last episode on circumambulation steps right into in ad adopting a symbolic aspect. 
to treat an object as freshly met and see it again from all angles as a symbol, as art helps the symbolic attitude. Contemplation and the adoption of healthy rituals does this also. Slowing down and being in the moment, though a bit of a cliche, is essential. Feel your instinctual self and grow attentive to dreams. Shake off literalism while enjoying art. Forge symbolic links between different moments in your life. The better to understand them. Free write, draw, paint, sing and dance. Go lie down in a field and look for animals in the clouds. I am deeply interested in symbolism as one of the birthplaces of self-consciousness, of the arts and religion, as the birthplace of our sense of selfhood really, much more so than the so-called birth of reason. It is the symbol which maketh the human. A fool sees not the same tree that the wise man sees. In this episode, I am absolutely thrilled to be introducing six Scottish artists who have all responded to the prompt Animal Symbolicum. So I hope you enjoy it. There was neither non-existence nor existence then. There was neither the realm of space nor the sky which is beyond. What stirred? Where? In whose protection? Was there water, bottomlessly deep? That was an excerpt from the Rig Veda creation myth. We all dream of water. We dream of oceans deep and unfathomable. The ocean symbolises the subconscious, our own unfathomable depths and our birthplace. From water we came and in our dreams to water we often return. Seas and oceans are vast. They cover 71% of the Earth's surface. The ocean can symbolise the wild, clear, cold, distant lands and new beginnings. The word wave is applied to a wave of creative energy, energy. We can crest a wave when we do well, but we must also be cautious as the churning abyss can suck us down into its deepest gloom. We all are, I'm sure, familiar with Samuel Coleridge's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. So ripe and full of symbolism, it strikes us in a deep place and it tells us all the things that we've always known. When I think of ships, it is the scene of the ship becalmed in Coleridge's poem that I think of. And when I listen to Sean Gardner's work, back to that poem it took me. Art which affects us profoundly becomes thoroughly part of our symbolic selves. So I'd like to read an extract from The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner where the ship is becalmed. Down dropped the breeze, the sails dropped down, t'was sad as sad could be, and we did speak only to break the silence of the sea. All in a hot and copper sky, the blood sun at noon, Right up above the mask did stand, no bigger than the moon. Day after day, day after day, we stuck nor breath nor motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. 
the very deep did rot, O Christ, that ever this should be. Ye slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea. If we are to survive our travels at sea, we need luck and we need a sturdy vessel. Boats symbolically evoke passage and they must be sound to carry one over watery depths. We may set sail on flights of fancy. We lose our moorings. We can be cast adrift by fate. An ill or a fair wind may blow. We must navigate well in life lest we are shipwrecked. The mythology and symbolism of ships is woven deeply into our psyche. My ship has come in, we might call, if we do well. Michel Foucault wrote in Madness and Civilization of the Ship of Fools. Societies unwanted, rejected and afraid. The poor and the vulnerable were herded onto ships and they were set to sail. They would attempt to moor at many different locations but would inevitably be turned away. In fact, usually each location they would find more poor souls and neglected people would swell their number. Um, we should not interpret Foucault's use of the word fools as a slur. It was the language that was used in antiquity. Um, language used to dehumanise those who had been rejected by society in a veneer of justification. It's repeated throughout history and is very much with us today. Our first artist contributor is Sean Gardner. Sean Gardner's reading The Boat is about an event called the Left to Die Boat. In March 2011, during the Libyan War, a boat carrying 72 refugees from sub-Saharan Africa left Tripoli, trying to reach the safety of Europe. They ran out of fuel 18 hours into the journey and they began to drift. During that drift, they encountered a number of other vessels, including a fleet of fishermen, a helicopter and a NATO warship. None of them made a rescue. Eventually, the refugees drifted back to the Libyan coast after 14 days at sea and all but nine of them were dead. The boat is an extract from Gardner's longer work, The Crisis, which is a semi-fictionalised account of the refugees' journey, interspersed with other sections which use found poetry to tell the story of the broader Libyan war. The extract which follows opens the work describing the departure of the refugees' boat from Tripoli. It is performed and produced by Sean Gardner and Riz Maslin, who is also known as Neotropic. Sean Gardner is a writer and an artist based in Stormness, Orkney. He lives there with his wife, Anna, who is also an artist, and their two cats. He's written and illustrated a graphic novel, The Boy with Nails for Eyes, which is due for publication in 2021. The book was longlisted for the Myrad First Graphic Novel Prize in 2018. You can find and follow Sean at www.basementgarden.uk, on Twitter at basement underscore garden, on Instagram at basementgarden. And you can listen to Riz Maslin's work as Neotropic on Spotify and find her at neotropic.net. Enjoy the boat. Squat in the boat. Gaze into the dark. Move. 
cannot. Bodies close on every side. You are a groping hand. You are an open wound. The skin where wound and body meet, defining each other. Your body lacks a frame, and so your hands, wrapped in iron clutch about your legs, your ankles crossed together, your shoulders lipped to shoulders either side, is each a body. Your body a pattern within these clouds. Move. Cannot. Bodies on every side. Behind those bodies, nothing but the dark. The sea cannot be broken. What has no function cannot be disrupted. Lives on both sides of the amputation. Retains its power in the isolated cell. Forced from self, unerringly returns. Falls to rise again. Boats are fragile, bearing function. They, that function, bearing, bearing, bear. Broken, sink. Every completed voyage, every enjoyed destination is the luck of the vessel, is the thief's luck, stealing its way through the sleeping chamber, or else the sea awaking merciful withholds. Explosions in land. Sudden wind interrogates your skin. Above you, other airborne powers you know but cannot see. Black lines of currency and trade that oversnake the boundaries of nations those earthbound creatures law and jurisdiction cannot cross but breach. Satellites and spy planes, eyes for whom all things below are visible themselves, invisible. Behind all these, the dark. The sea rolls back and forth its broad black tongue, white and wet the wetness with saliva where it tastes the earth. Sand hisses quietly to itself, its sleeping name. In the dark, you cannot see the soldiers, the well-fed men, their gestures brief and peremptory when they searched you, taking phone, money, documents, leaving you naked beneath your clothing, plucking you from the general weave, as threads loose and unconnected, they gathered you to the boat. Now they are hidden in the darkness, but still detectable, like planets in wide orbits, by their distant molestations, by their reaching distortions. You watched them as they departed. They frisked the moon and, laughing, drew down three of her quarters. They pulled the silver from her pockets for their own expenditure. They gripped her by the shoulders, delving their fingers into shadow turned her, pushed her, stumbled her along, smearing her registration. You cannot see, but know by these that they are there. If 
you break back again, they will shoot you. You are a body turned outside the law, an extrasolar body, honing its departure for the chance compassion of distant gravities. The engine coughs once, twice. The driver curses. People call out. The baby cries. And then the engine coughs and catches. Underway. Move. Cannot. Gaze into the zero dark. So I want to talk now for a little bit about animal symbols. The hyena, neither cat nor dog, the hyena or crocuta crocuta are hardy, clan-dwelling, adaptable scavenger hunters. Their clans are large, including up to 80 individuals and are matriarchal and highly vocal and intelligent. Animals as symbols and totems can help us find and nurture our lost or hidden selves. To relate symbolically to animal spirit allows us humans to celebrate and heighten our instincts, which modern society stultifies with constant distraction. We have been distanced from our fellow animals and to adopt an animal spirit as a totem allows some much needed animality and spirit back into the subconscious. Hyenas are mysterious, they come and they go, often coming into close contact with people, but they remain ever elusive. What is your spirit animal, for we all should have one? Think on it and ask your dreams about it. Our next artist is Gordon Mead. Gordon Mead is a Scottish poet based in the East Nuke of Fife. His most recent collection, Zoo Speak, is a collaboration between himself and a Canadian photographer and animal activist, Joe Anne MacArthur. It was published in 2020 by Enthusiastic Press in London. You can read more of Gordon Mead's work through the Scottish Poetry Library website. Here is Gordon Mead's poem, Hyena People. Enjoy. The Hyena People. Neither dog nor cat, neither monkey nor rat, neither good nor bad, neither happy nor sad, neither hawk nor dove, neither hatred nor love, neither loud nor quiet, neither black nor white, neither palm nor fist, neither curse nor wish, neither sun nor rain, neither pleasure nor pain, neither here nor there, neither common nor rare, neither west nor east, neither famine nor feast, neither dusk nor dawn, neither dead nor born, neither north nor south, neither poor nor mouth, neither saint 
nor sinner, neither loser nor winner, neither he nor she, neither you nor me, neither yin nor yang, neither claw nor fang, neither first nor last, neither future nor past. The dog is thought to be the first animal which we domesticated. Loyal and apt to never abandon their masters, they fed into diverse and numerous mythologies and symbols. Dogs protect us, they guide us and they can find what we have lost. Dogs can be a wounder or a healer. They can hunt us or they can hunt with us. In ancient symbolism, the dog is regarded as a feminine mother image. The goddess Hecat, described in the Chaldean oracles as ensouling the entire cosmos, is deeply associated with the black dogs which went everywhere with her. Dogs were, in ancient faith, regarded also as symbols of fertility. Although highly domesticated, dogs have retained their animal instincts, instincts which we have for the most part lost. If dogs help us find things, then perhaps our instinct counts as one of those things with dogs often being portrayed as human familiars in myths and fairy tales. I would next like to introduce Sausage Dog by Karen Fishwick. And after Sausage Dog, we have more doggy theme with poet Chris Kent. Karen Fishwick is from Glasgow. She was raised in a musical family and began playing the trumpet while very young. The hallways of Karen's youth were lined with brass instruments, which were infinitely more compelling to her than playing Nintendo. She began her acting career mainly as an actor-musician, picking up new instruments here and there. However, in the past few years, she's found more speaking parts with less opportunity to play music. Inspired by Tim Minchin, Rufus Wainwright and Janelle Monet, Karen has a singular approach and loves to make people laugh. She likes to take to the piano and write humorous songs for her friends. Sausage Dog is one of those songs and I am thrilled that Karen has decided to share this song with us. You will love it. Oh, a quick side note as well. Sausage Dogs have a very illustrious artistic career. Um, Both Picasso and Warhol kept Sausage Dogs. They had faithful companions. They both painted and drew their beloved pets lots and lots too. So they were a real inspiration to both those artists. As an Olivier-nominated actor and musician, you can also find Karen online in all sorts of places. Um, you can maybe start with her Twitter account at Kishwika, K-I-S-H-W-I-C-K-A. So enjoy the song Sausage Dog. I'm just a tiny little sausage dog, don't walk too fast because I got short paws. And hey, if you could just pause before you shut the doors because I'm longer. Than you think. I'm just your tiny little sausage friend. Please look down, or it could be my end. If I could be something else, well, I could try to pretend, but it's harder than you think. I got loads of great qualities. I'm far better looking than a Bichon freeze. Fit in your pocket, or sit on your knee. If I had extendable thumbs, I'd make you cups of tea. 
Because a cat is just a cat And knows where it's at A tiny rabbit's just a hamster A small bird is a bat But the only one who goes full hog Is a tiny little sausage dog So come on please So next I would like to introduce Chris Kent with four of his poems. Chris Kent is an artist and writer based in the Borders and Edinburgh, sometimes making wood sculptures incorporating text and sometimes making graphic novels telling stories with pictures and words. His ideas develop from both drawings and from his writing. Ideas such as the man with the dog came from events, but often afterwards they feel like they've happened to someone else. You can find more of Chris's work at ChristopherWKent.com. Here he shares four short poems, first Man with Dog and then In Boxes, Earth Book and Cafe Woman. Enjoy Chris's poetry. Man with a Dog I saw this man carrying a giant furry dog on his back. He won it on the fair at Kirkcaldy. He walks with his dog past the sea front, waves at the sea wall behind him, splashing ten feet up into the air. No one noticed, just a man with a dog. In boxes, intricate shapes folded over by hands, Nicked with paper cuts, I find moist petals comforting a tiny sapphire like a tear. Earth Book Darkness was over everything. The earth was shapeless and unknown. This was the beginning. There was darkness pulled inside out to make light, a sort of temporary arrangement. The horizon was born with a tearing sound. That's when rock was split and waters broke. Water and rock seemed to flow together. Out of the bubbling, boiling fluid came clear water and those specks of dust. And a woman came there, made of that dust. She lived on the dry land and survived on the leaves and fruits that grew there. Cafe woman. A woman beside me in the cafe sits and tears pages from her magazine. She continues until she tears another page and another. Silently, she tears the words out. Tears out the words which have grown attached to her heart.
the next two artists in the pieces which they've submitted speak to memory and the muses, to communion, creativity, ritual and perhaps redemption. Voices make alive for us our ancestral memories and with them, through storytelling, poetry and song, we are able to regard the liminal space which exists between us and the external world. This liminal space, which is fed with memories and experience and acts as a crucible for our creative inspiration. There is much intimacy in the spoken word. Intimacy which is amplified through radio and podcasts when voices are able to reach out to us when we are otherwise alone. I want to read a quick quote from Nietzsche's Zarathustra. Yes, again, I know I read them all the time. Anyway, it's a good one. Watch and listen, you solitaries. From the future come winds with a stealthy flapping of wings and good tidings go out to delicate ears. Antiquity suggests how important it is for us to listen, especially to softly spoken sounds. As intricate as a winding seashell, our ear gathers these sounds for us. It can be difficult to listen now, though, through the clamour and noise of the world in which we live. Do you remember when you were young watching Westerns and being utterly wrapped in those moments when people would climb down from their horses, get down onto their hands and knees and put their ear to the ground to hear the distant rumble of approaching horses? What a useful and thrilling skill to be able to listen so thoroughly, so intently. The psychoanalyst Theodore Rake said, The intangible that is invisible as well as untouchable can still be audible. And we listen not only with our ears but with our whole selves. And sometimes not a single sound is made. For surely the most profound of all creative dialogues we will have are those we have with ourselves in the darkest parts of our own minds. I would like now to play Delia's poem. Um, Here Delia Marjorie Banks shares her late husband's work. While looking through her late husband Brian Carey's collected poetry, which had been written over his lifetime, Delia found the following poem resonated deeply with her. Delia is an Edinburgh-based painter and sculptor who takes inspiration from walks around the Forth estuary and objects she finds whilst beachcombing. This is Delia Marjorie Banks reading Brian Carey's poem, Not Amused. Not Amused I haven't found in you a muse, thank God, but like myself, one taunted by the muses. I've been subject to their cruel abuses, mocking me along the road I trod. Absent for weeks sometimes, and then a prod of impish insight fires up all your fuses, drives away your lazy, lame excuses, writes with airy finger deep in sod. Thus heaven and earth are combined, this redeems from darkness endless light. I've seen this passion hard at working you. Your unshed tears burning through your mind will wash away the paralysing fright that damns the fluid vision you renew.
Kirsty Ann is a 25-year-old poet and spoken word performer from Glasgow. She is relatively new to the poetry scene, having performed for the first time in January this year. Her poems often explore mental health as she uses writing as a coping tool for depression and anxiety. Other themes in her work include feminism, familial love, Scottish Glaswegian pride, queer identity, love or lack of, and loneliness. Kirsty's work has recently featured in both Gutter Voices and Winnow Magazine. Here is Kirsty Ann Waters with her poem Sunday Blethers. I hope you enjoy. I stopped going to church long ago, but one Sunday tradition remains. Each week we congregate on Calder Street, a family, and confess our tales of the previous week, blethering over cups of tea. Sister and brother, mother and son, daughters, nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts, husband and wife, cousins of all ages. We squeeze into the comfy pews and face the altar of our lives through disjointed homilies and old stories we've all been read before. Words spill over one another as we talk of nothing and everything. Fun is poked like hot coals on a fire, keeping all of us warm. Children of God in our love for one another. Cake is our communion, laughter a popular hymn, the living room, a crowded chapel that welcomes all. The grand matriarch watches on, a bemused priest who's long stopped trying to tame their unruly parish. I don't know about God. His apathy knows no bounds. But I do know the love contained within those Sunday blethers. It flows through our words, an unspoken current, a holy wine we did not realise we were drinking. It fills our blood makes us light, nonsensical, but together in conversation. I stopped going to church long ago, but each Sunday I sit in that room and suddenly I am part of something bigger than myself, no longer alone in the universe. No need to pray. I know they are enough for me. Thank God for Sunday blethers. So to finish off, I would like to provide you all with a creative prompt simply called Autumn. And I'd like to start that with a quote, an excerpt from Marianne Evans, who is also known as George Eliot. So this is taken from a letter from her to Miss Lewis in 1841. Is this not a true autumn day? Just the still melancholy that I love, that makes life and nature harmonise. The birds are consulting about their migrations. The trees are putting on the hectic or the pallid hues of decay and begin to strew the ground that one's very footsteps may not disturb the response of the earth and air. While they give us a scent that is a perfect anodyne to the restless spirit. Delicious autumn, my very soul is wedded to it. And if I were a bird, I would fly about the earth seeking the successive autumns. Autumn, 
It's the season in which the flowers have given way to fruit and everything changes. We harvest, we preserve. Along with the changes, there also comes balance. Um, Day and night are of equal lengths and a wind-ruffled mellowness descends which invites self-nurture. Autumn is ripe with imagery. Autumn is ripe with symbolism. In the same way we harvest crops and store them for the winter, we can harvest our experiences, harvest and preserve the summer's intellectual, emotionally, emotional and sensory experiences, the better to understand them and make use of them. It is the natural season of reflection. It is the season in which the impermanence of life is made that much clearer. A time when nature's instincts are so abundantly clear to us. And no more so than in the still very mysterious migratory behaviour of birds. All around us nature packs herself away with colour and movement and flustered intensity. Things are on the move in nature's agenda. Swirls of action after the still of summer. After this summer, um, we are all very changed. Um, So harvest it, pluck the fruits of the summer and preserve them well. Reflect, walk, gather leaves. Watch the trees unclothe, uncovering the nests which have been hidden there. Look up at the birds, sketch and journal. Autumn is about instinct, so sit with yours. Now, if all this seems a bit nebulous as a prompt, then perhaps it is, and perhaps it should be. Um, yeah, as if you want a sort of concrete start to autumnal reflections, then I would always say, old favourite, collect leaves. Go out and collect leaves and pine cones. Um, take time, make a project of it. Give yourself time to do it. It's important. It's important to go out and kick the leaves and collect them. Um, bring them home. Um make a still life a, a written and a drawn one a painted one um, describe in words the texture and colour the emotion of the leaves in a poem perhaps um, paint a still life, draw the chestnuts um, gather sticks um, and collect an autumnal word list um, autumn loves language autumn loves language and there is just so many sensory things changing um, I don't know, what do I think straight away? I think wind, I think umber, smoke, apples, chestnut, crackling fire. Um, make an autumnal journal with your word lists and your sketches. Stick leaves in it. Collect the smells of autumn. Um, and while you write, make yourself cinnamon tea. Um, make your journal a lovely thing full of thoughts and pictures and words and nonsense. Nurture yourself ponder upon your animal totem as well give yourself a spirit animal a companion an inner animal companion ask for one in a dream feel the instincts you're drawn to we could all do with honing our instincts and a totem a spirit animal or a familiar is a wonderful thing find your inner little creature your inner furred or scaled companion i really hope you enjoyed this episode of Discovery Stage. Um, I enjoyed introducing the Scottish artists that we had contribute. That was fantastic. So um, you can email me on discovery 
stage zero at gmail.com. I always get the email wrong, but that's at discovery stage zero at gmail.com. Um, so feel free to email me just to get in touch or to say hello or ask questions or ask how you can get involved, blah de blah. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at discovery.stage. Um, Email's definitely pending, definitely pending, definitely pending. It is coming um, this this month, this month, before the next episode, I promise. Um, my name is Shirley. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discovery Stage. Stay creative and go and find your spirit animal. Goodbye. And to play us out of this episode, I am going to play again Karen Fishwick's Sausage Dog song because it was only short and everybody loves the sausage dog. See you next time. I'm just a tiny little sausage dog. Don't walk too fast because I got your paws. And hey, if you could just pause before you shut the doors because I'm longer than you think. Just your tiny little sausage friend Please look down or it could be my end If I could be something else Well I could try to pretend But it's harder than you think I got loads of great qualities I'm far better looking than a Bichon freeze. Put in your pocket or sit on your knee If I had extendable thumbs I'd make you cups of tea You never see a little sausage cat because a cat is just a cat and knows where it's at a tiny rabbit's just a hamster a small bird is a bat but the only one who goes full hog is a tiny little sausage dog